0: Pull your seatbelt and hold on where Nashville music scene comes alive. Right where you are. You're listening to Notable Nashville Podcast with your host, Groove Dr. J. Don't miss a beat. scratching at the door and I just let it in I went to light the store one day as he came stealing in the heart out of the ashes nearly jumped out of my skin flew a high on the rafter behind me as I began to run As he crowed, preen, and plumed. He ate the daylight in the room His feathers all shone as black as sin. I could talk to someone Someone to release me From my skin Wicked now, and I feel I'm surely stuck. I hope someone comes to find me to release me from my skin. And there's a bad omen scratching at the door. And there's a bad omen scratching at the door. And I just let it in.
1: Everybody, thanks for tuning into Notable Nashville podcast. Today's guest is Steve Dawson. You just heard that song "Bad Omen" uh, with a slide guitar. You you told you told me what was it called? Like the the maker of it?
2: Uh, well, it's kind of it's known as a Wisenborn, which is a, a, a bit of a misnomer, but that's the name of the guy that built it. Okay. In, in the 20s, yeah.
1: But it's just a six string slide yeah. guitar. Yeah. Well, it sounds really good. But it's got
2: a hollow neck. That's why it's different, and that's what makes it sound the way it does. Is you can't fret it. There's no frets on it, and there's no and and the neck is hollow all the way up to the headstock.
1: Wow! So it's pretty resonant. Yeah, it's an interesting looking guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks thanks for stopping over. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. I, I saw that you have your your own podcast, uh, Music Makers and Soul Shakers, and you've yeah. been doing that qu- quite a while.
2: Yeah, almost as long as you have. Yes, yeah, we were just talking <laughs> six six
1: seven years. So
2: yeah, I'm going into my sixth season. It's fun. I, I like it. I I I started it as a way to just kind of geek out with people and there was a lot of interview shows that were getting musicians on and kind of asking just questions that weren't going into the depth that I wanted to hear some of the guests, uh-huh. um, getting into. And so I just started one of my own. Cause wow. That's what you do. So do you, do you basically just have, uh,
1: musicians and artists and, and
2: yes, people come on to Just musicians. Uh, although I get like producers, engineers, but it's all music related. But okay. For the most part, it's musicians, songwriters, um, session players, cool, whatever. Yeah.
1: So I'll try to get into the, uh, into the deep subjects with you since you like that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, I want to get into kind of your career because you've been playing for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. you kind of started off in, in Canada, right? You're, you were, you, you're born and raised in Canada. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm from Vancouver originally and I moved to Nashville about nine years ago. Okay. And, uh, in the middle there, I lived in Toronto for a few years and Boston as well.
1: Okay. So how does Nashville compare to the other places that, you, that you've that you lived? <laughs> well,
2: it's wildly different, I would say. But, uh, I mean, I left Vancouver for a, a bunch of reasons. But basically, I just was reaching a point in my life and my career where I just wanted to have a big change. Uh-huh. And Vancouver is a great city. It's beautiful. It's gotten punishingly expensive and uh it's just not really a music town you know uh-huh. like the musicians are kind of getting pushed out of the city more yeah and it just didn't feel like a great place to be anymore and so um although i mean parts of it were cool and my family's there and stuff oh, okay so we were gonna move to toronto and we looked around and kind of felt like it wasn't that exciting or that different really and then it came down here and Kind of loved it, and yeah. thought, "Well, this would be fun." We didn't know really. Well, I knew a few people. I knew like three or four people that I'd worked with. Um, that was about it. So, what's your family like? You got a wife, kids, or? Yeah, I've got a wife, one kid. She's fifteen, and uh, she goes to Hume Fog downtown. Wow.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, living. In Boston, were you also doing your music career there, or what were you doing? When I was you, in college. Oh, you
2: did you go to? Um, I went to Berkeley. Berkeley. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I was there for, I don't know, two and a half years or something. Uh-huh. And I went there because I, you know, I kind of like getting. I went straight from high school. Uh, I got a some a bit of a scholarship there, and it was way smaller than it is now. And it was just a way to stay in music without having any clue what i was doing or wanting to do Mm -hmm. i kind of wanted to be a jazz guitarist at that point really and i was pretty into like i got kind of far with like studying jazz and all that stuff and then weirdly when i got to berkeley which is at the time like now it's kind of they do all kinds of music there but at the time it was known as a as a jazz school basically Uh and um but when I got there I got really into like bluegrass oh, wow. and and country music and stuff like that that I had never been exposed to. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I feel like cool. most of the people that I talk to that go to Berkeley are dropouts, like they go for a year or two and then they drop out. Well, a music degree doesn't do anything it, yeah. for you, right? So like you, you kinda of get the experience and yeah. the and the connections and yeah. and, and go, go about your way.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a huge dropout rate at the beginning. That's what I found anyway. Like when I was there it was like the, um, the, the, um, you know, first semester was like, I don't know, I think it was 1800 people and the mm-hmm. graduating class was 70. Oh, <laughs> so wow. yeah, it's a huge drop off. Um, I think they've figured it out now where they keep people longer, but yeah. at the time it was like, yeah, mo- a, a huge amount of people dropped out in the first semester. And then after that, uh, if you could hack it through the first semester, you could hack it. They really. keep yeah. yeah. And then, and then you just reach a point where it's like, well, I've taken all the cool stuff I want to take, and then now I'm going to be stuck doing, like, math and English and stuff uh-huh. that, to to get a degree, which right. isn't going to do me, like, you know, 25 years later. Like, <laughs> exactly. No one's yeah. ever asked me if I've... <laughs> for and, all, some... and
1: all the money that you're spending on tuition, like, you could be spending on your yeah. craft. Yeah. yeah, But I kind of want to get, like, uh, a preview of where this is in time. So 2001, 2001 were you still in school, or was that, mm-hmm. like, after... Okay. Yeah. So 2001 you came together with uh Jesse Zubat, am I saying that right? Zubat. Yeah, and like you Robot. The- Zubat. Okay. The Great Uncles of the Revolution Stand Up yeah.
2: um was your album with him, the first album. No, um, that wasn't, the, that first wasn't the first one. So we had this duo called Zubat and Dawson and we made these weird instrumental records that was like that was like the beginning of my recording career that where things got interesting mm-hmm. for me and We just did stuff that we thought was cool and we didn't care at all what anyone, like everyone in the industry was like, well, this is too weird and you can't make music like that. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, well, we're going to do it. So we did. (laughs) And it was surprisingly successful. Like we, we did, like we won awards with it. We traveled all over the world. We played tons of festivals and we kind of got into this acoustic world more at that point, which I'd never really... Like up until then I was playing in essentially rock bands and stuff. Uh But this was like a window into a different world of like acoustic music and folk festivals and stuff where you know the money was better and the hangs were really fun and there's a lot of people our age doing it. Um it was cool, it was great.
1: Did you ever play uh Summer Camp? Because that's a festival that I feel like is a lot of instrumentation. Um, I grew it's up,
2: called summer camp.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, and they held oh, yeah. a, a big music festival in Chillicothe, Illinois, like every year yeah. called summer camp. And I don't uh, know that one, you know, or Umphreys McGee and all these oh, yeah, instrumental yeah. bands would play yeah. like they were the, you could always count on them being right. there. So, yeah. um, I just wanted to see if you had, had ever, no, no, I
2: don't know that one. I mean, there's so many festivals and at that time too, like in the early two thousands and stuff, there was, it was sort of the, it was sort of the heyday there, there was so many new festivals starting and a lot of the good ones had been around at that point for 25, 30 years and they Mm -hmm. were like really dialed in. And Canada too has a really good acoustic and folk festival scene. So you can spend the whole summer like traveling across the country and making good money. And, you know, that's sort of what life was like for four or five years, I guess. And then things changed a bit and we also, Jesse Zubat and I, so he was, he was a fiddle player. Oh, okay. So he, we sort of went our separate ways a few years later too and started doing different stuff. And
1: and then from, from then, did you start your solo stuff or did you, I, went, it was sort of all that? at
2: the same time I was doing solo stuff while I was doing things with him. Uh-huh. But then I guess the big thing that happened was I started producing records for people. Oh, okay. And so I started producing stuff maybe in, uh, for other people like in around that 2001,
1: 2002. Okay. So what's it like to, to win like a big award, like a Juno award and you've won multiple Juno awards. So yeah. is that like, you know, you get one you're like, okay, I've made it. Or, um, what was that like?
2: <laughs> no, it's more like, <laughs> Hey, that's cool. Uh, and then the next day it's just like, well, what do you, what do you for, do with it? Done for me lately. Yeah. So, you know, where it came in really handy was moving to the States cause you have to like build a case for yourself to get a visa to to live here right uh-huh. and so they love stuff like awards
1: so <laughs> the process of moving uh, becoming an american citizen you have to fill out all this stuff and well i'm
2: not an american citizen i have a green oh, card okay so it's a huge hassle and it's really expensive um so most people that i know that are canadian that come to nashville are on a short-term visa Okay. It's called a P1 and it's now like really expensive and it only lasts for a year uh-huh. and you have to renew it every year. So it's a bit of a nightmare and I didn't want to come down with that. So there's another kind of visa called an O one, one where you can stay for up to three years. So that's what I moved down here on. Okay. And then that led to like, well, do I get another O1 or do we get a green card? And we got a green card, which was more work, but it lasts for like 11 years. Gotcha.
1: So your wife is Canadian too? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm interested to know what it, what's your opinion of like the, I don't want to get too political, but the politics here as opposed to politics in Canada, because everybody, you know, was like, Oh, I hate it here in America. I'm moving to Canada. Um, you know, was, everyone
0: was going to move to Canada. Yeah, Like we're
1: going to move to Canada. Okay. That's, that's yeah. cool. But I mean, what's your opinion on like the, I mean, there's so much going on in the world with Ukraine and Russia and everything. Mm-hmm. And, Um, just kind of the, the climate of the United States as opposed to other countries, or do you, do you like living in the United States?
2: Yeah, I like it. I mean, it was The last few years was bananas, but, um, uh, I mean, Canada's got its own set of problems too. And it's own bunch of crazy politicians. Um, right now it's pretty chill and the guy up there has his own set of problems, Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau, but he's, you know, he's doing all right. And it's just kind of like, plateaued at somewhat normal and, and all that. So, and down here, I just feel like things have normalized to a certain extent, although the world is melting down around us, but, yeah. I, but <laughs> I feel like that's the same everywhere. Right. And I don't know. I mean, the, I don't know, politics Or I don't really, you know, I don't get involved too much. I mean, I have strong opinions about it, but I, think that i mean the the huge gap for me is the whole healthcare thing down mm-hmm. here is a nightmare and being canadian and coming down here that's the one thing where it's like are you kidding me like there's no you can't just walk in and get a get all fixed for free right what's that all about yeah. <laughs> and so that's like a terrifying thing for me it's like well what happens if i get sick or mm-hmm. You know, I have some insurance, but it's expensive. And yeah. then I don't know if it's really covered or not. Like, it's a big, weird gamble. And in Canada, you know, literally you can walk in for anything and mm-hmm. it's all free. So so who, I, I'm not real up on the,
1: you know, who pays for that? Is that like all through taxes and stuff like yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you're you're for a universal healthcare. I am so for universal health care. For healthcare. universal healthcare,
2: yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I feel I like am. you know you've lived th- in it and it works. Like it's a thing. And it not having to worry about like breaking your arm or getting some sort of disease that you have to get treatment for and uh-huh. suddenly not being able to afford it is it's not something that you think about it's just so weird that, you know, you have to work for a big corporation
1: or employer that, you know, then you have to pay more money for your insurance. So yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me, but, um, but enough about that. I want to get into (laughs) more of your music because, um, I'm excited. I heard that you are releasing not only one album this year, but three. Um, so what can you tell a little, tell us a little bit about what's going to be coming out with that?
2: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I was the last few years I've been touring a lot with, a, there was a band called birds of Chicago. And so I was playing guitar with them and that was uh, JT Nero from Chicago and Alison Russell from um, Montreal and Vancouver. And I, I know her from Vancouver. I've known her for 20 years. So we toured together for three or four, three years basically over the, up until the pandemic and we were out on tour with the wood brothers when the whole shit hit the fan and we came home and We thought there was going to be a month off and then, you know, that, you know, the story. And so, uh, pretty soon into that, it became official that Birds of Chicago was not going to go back to playing anymore. So I suddenly realized I didn't have a gig Uh and Alice and Russell put out a solo album that's gone bananas and she's nominated for three Grammys and all this stuff. So that's what happened there. And I realized, like, oh, i got to either find some sort of thing that's going to go on tour in a few months, which obviously didn't happen, Mm -hmm. uh, or um, I need need to get into the remote recording thing. And so um, I started working with a couple of friends from different places, and we figured out... I sort of got them set up with equipment, and we talked a lot about how to record themselves, and we the the other thing that happened is I had like gigs to produce people shortly after the pandemic started, and that all vanished too, which is like money that I needed to I was relying on making, you know yeah, and so I wanted to get those gigs back, but I had to like figure out how to do it first, so we just got a good system down between three of us to do drums, bass, and guitars remotely really quickly and effectively and mm-hmm. sounding really good for people. And we came up with this thing called the Hen House Express. The Hen House is my studio. And so the, so people would send us their song, like them singing, on a Monday. And then by the, by the Friday of that week, they would have the song recorded and mixed by us. And we got really good at it. And we did it for like 100 and I think we did 150 songs or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah, it was like every week. It was like boom, boom, boom. So where is the Hen House located in East Nashville? Well, now it is, sort of. Like, I'm in the middle of building. I'm painting oh, okay. it. Actually, I've got paint all over my hands. So wow. That's why. So, yes, it's in East Nashville, and it's going to be cool, but it's currently under construction So because so, we moved during the pandemic. Okay. So how did you get your hand in production? Did, is that some of the stuff that you kind of just learned on your own and started doing? Yeah. I mean, people started asking me to produce records, and so I did, and um, some of those did well, and so that led to producing more and stuff. Uh-huh. And, and then I... You know, I learned the ropes of engineering and got pretty good at that. And I learned how to mix and I started doing that. So I've been doing all those things for a long time. Yeah. Cool. And uh, and just the remote experience was inspiring for me. And I started doing my own stuff. And um, it turned into two albums worth of songs that I was happy with. And recording with people from, you know, I had people doing tracks from all over the place that was inspiring as well. And it was a fun process. So I just kept going. And then the third one is like a completely separate project. It's sort of a a psychedelic pedal steel instrumental album. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And that was always like its own thing. And it was sitting there like waiting to happen. And I just never had time to do it because it wasn't really a priority. And Uh suddenly I had all the time in the world. Yeah. And so I did it. And uh, it was basically already written and just sitting there waiting to, to come to life. And so... I I did it, and um, that's going to be the second one. It's called Phantom Threshold, and it's coming out in July. Okay, yeah.
1: So the first one, uh, March 18th, right? Yep. Uh, gone long gone. Yep. I actually listened to some of it today um, while I was preparing, but I I like it. It's kind of like I don't know, rootsy Americana mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but I'm I'm excited to hear that psychedelic one too, because just hearing you play <laughs> on the on the lap steel, like um, I'm I'm excited to hear what that's going to sound like. Um, yeah, well, I'll get you one of those for sure. Um, so what's, what's next on, on the agenda as far as like, I know everything's kind of up in the air about touring, but do you plan on going out again with, with, uh, with a tour?
2: Yeah. So I have, uh, a tour, my first tour since 2020, early 2020 coming up, um, in April and we're going to do a bunch of Canadian dates. So I've got, um, Two guys from, wait, where are they from? Oh, yeah, two guys from Vancouver, mm-hmm. a bass player, a keyboard player. And then my drummer is Joaquin Cooter, who is Rai Cooter's son, and he's from L.A. And so we're going to convene in Vancouver and play uh, all over Canada for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Um, And it should be fine, I think. You know, like Canada's generally like a month and a half behind the States for Mm. like opening up, it seems like. So they're just opening now. So I've had these gigs booked for like eight months. Oh, wow. And up until like two months ago, I just figured they'd get canceled like everything else. Yeah. (laughs) But it looks like they're going to happen. And so like we have flights and all that stuff. So it should happen happen yeah it's so
1: it's so weird to be like oh is this gonna actually happen or is it gonna cancel um you know i've got a lot of concerts that i purchased for like you know may and october you know this year but yeah um yeah it's so strange of what's going on but um i wanted to ask you like with the birds of chicago and and the wood brothers i mean i'm a i'm a big fan of the wood brothers too what was it like playing with them uh you were opening up like every night yeah
2: yeah we opened up for them uh I think the tour was going to be about two and a half weeks or something. And we got through maybe a week and a half and it was right as things were actually, so it was right after the tornado, of course hit here. Mm -hmm. That was the day we left, I think, because it actually hit really close to Oliver. And I think Chris would got like almost his house almost got destroyed. So he, he, so yeah, the day after the tornado hit we left on tour oh my gosh yeah and that was there, like early March
1: yeah I, that I was March like... 2nd okay. I think so the anniversary oh yeah anniversary was like yesterday
2: yeah 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 that's right because I saw the I saw um the guy from the basement east posted a thing about like two years ago oh, yeah, yeah we were we were like shutting the club down yeah. and the roof got torn off yeah. um so yeah that was like a two and a half week tour and it was great uh, those guys are super nice. I know Oliver a little bit just from in town here. Uh-huh. And uh, he actually, funnily enough, like right after I moved here, I was selling a guitar pickup and he phoned me and he's like, hey man, I, you know, uh, I think he emailed me and so I knew who it was. He's like, I want to buy your pickup. And he came over and we talked about pickups for a while and just kind of hit it off and, you know, we stayed in touch and um, we, you know, we're not like, super close buds or anything, but I talked to him once in a while and yeah. his wife ran a studio that I worked at occasionally, um, down a Music Row, uh, that's gone. It was Zach Brown's place called, uh, Southern Ground. Okay. And it's gone now. It shut down during the pandemic too. Um, but, uh, so I, I know her a little bit and Chris, I got to know a bit and he funnily enough moved to not to Vancouver, but close to Vancouver during the pandemic. His, he married, I think he either married or hooked up with a woman from Salt Spring Island, which is really close to Vancouver. And she, I think she moved down here and like the tornado and then the pandemic, and she was like, we're out of here. We're and so they, <laughs> they moved back up to Salt Spring, like to wow. Canada. And so he's there now, but Oliver still lives close by. And Brooke Sutton, the guy that makes the records and owns the studio that they work at, uh, his house did get destroyed he lived on Holly street which is where the tornado was oh, like man. torn down so so yeah those guys were you know really affected by that in big big ways for sure yeah yeah it was so hard and
1: you know the base miniest obviously a lot of venues around here were hit hard and um I'm glad that you know most people were able to rebuild was was your buddy able to
2: salvage anything or just nope. no no <laughs> yeah, his house was literally torn apart man so he just started from scratch yeah it wasn't his studio he's he's the guy that owns the studio that they like i rented this actually that's how i got to know them the best probably is like i rented a room when i was moving in their studio so i saw them every day basically and that was brooks place that place didn't get hit by the tornado but his house where he lives did yeah terrifying yeah well uh i
1: kind of want to hear another live song but um I'll have a deep question for you. Uh, What would you, (laughs) what would you tell people, you know, maybe listening that are trying to get into the, into the music scene and maybe discouraged, or, you know, you've been doing this a long time. What would you kind of advise people to, to do, um, get themselves out there or I don't know, any kind of deep advice that you would give somebody, um, that's trying to break it and break into the scene?
2: Well, I—I I mean, I don't have like amazing sage advice, but I—but one th- one thing I've always tried to do is just say yes to things. I try to say yes to everything, not maybe not as, as much now as I used to, but it's really incredible to me how like if I think back on you know tw- twenty plus years of being in the in this racket of like music in one form or another because I play and I produce and I engineer and you know I do. Uh, I'm like a working musician. Like I, I do whatever I need to do to, um, to make a living. And, um, really it's just like one thing has led to another. There's been, I've never had like any sort of career plan. I've never Mm -hmm. had like, uh, you know, steps to, to, uh, accomplish, to get to the next point. It's always just been like saying yes. And even if something sounds crazy, I usually do it. Uh, and it's amazing to me, like the craziest things that I never would have expected have led to, you know, really fruitful relationships or projects or anything like that. So, I mean, that's like the main thing I would say. It's like, you have to really surrender yourself to the idea of being a musician and being open to, um, you know, crazy experiences and that tends to lead to other interesting things. That's, that's my advice, I guess.
1: So maybe even saying yes to, a gig that may sound that's too small for me or you know that's oh not no be gig is too small no gig is too no. small.
2: no <laughs> just, just just do it oh my god yeah you have to especially if you're young like you have to do everything and especially these days where gigs are like harder to get like you know when I was starting I was playing in my town five nights a week and it was totally fine there, mm-hmm. you can't really do that anymore so I mean yeah you have to you have to play you have to get good and that's the only way to do it it's just like doing a bunch of stuff and uh yeah there's not a lot of room for for not doing things but Mm -hmm. then again i mean what do i know maybe if i'd said no to half those things i'd be doing you know way bigger things who knows i feel like that's good advice
1: (laughs) i mean you you can't think think you're above anything you know just continue to to put yourself out there
2: well and there's just a lot of gold in the in the most unexpected places in this world, the music world, Uh you know, there's, you could never predict what, what's around the corner. There's just no, every single thing that's happened to me that's good has been a surprise. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, you want to play another tune for us? Yeah. All right. What's this one called? Gone, long, gone. Gone, gone. I guess it's the title track off the record. That's out March 18th. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks, Steve. Uh, you, you have any, plugs
1: for social media that you want people to maybe follow you if they're interested or where where can we find you? Uh,
2: I'm not really active on Twitter although I do have an account there and then Facebook is just under my name although there's a few Steve Dawson's one is the Saxon bass the bass player for Saxon the English metal band so I'm not that guy and there's a songwriter in Chicago and so you just have to be aware that there's two Steve Dawson's out there so he's we're actually talking about doing a show together. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because so, we we get you know mixed up sometimes or whatever. So yeah, I'm just out there on Facebook and Instagram or my main. And world. then I just I just tagged you in a video on Instagram.
1: It's Steve Dawson Music. So go That's check right. them out there. Yeah. Um, but all right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll yeah. see you down the
2: road. Thanks for having me.
0: Roar, tearing up the turnpike road, and hear the wheels roll. You can hear him just the same. At night you can't see him, but you can hear him just the same. Except for the burning taillights that wink out of the frame. Look out the mirror, you can see what's behind But who would look back when you could follow that yellow line